Welcome to the Jesus Didn't Die for This Podcast with your hosts, Annie Cinco and Dean Ruiz. It's just two millennial women facetiously unpacking their generational, religious, and personal trauma. However, and wherever you enjoy your podcast, we hope you'll spend some time with us. Don't forget to like and subscribe. And now, it's time for the show. PhD candidate at Palo Alto University, Erin graciously took the time to walk us through her journey as an adoptee, a former homeschooler, and her journey into becoming a mental health professional. Her nuggets of wisdom come from firsthand experience and a lot of the observation. This episode has been cut into three different parts. You can hear the full unedited version on our Patreon. Any tier gets access to the full episodes. We have subscriptions for as low as $1 a month. That's actually that's oh well thank you. Some that's actually something that I've kind of complained about with other people in my program. Um a qualm that I have is that a lot of mental health I mean, I think it's great right now we're in a space where we're especially here in the US in particular, where we're able to talk so much about mental health and people are being a lot more open about it. But the problem I see specifically with psychology is I feel like so much of the research that we have is not accessible. Mm-hmm. especially to lay people. So I'm thinking of a story where, you know, we write papers and stuff. And uh, one of my friends in the program has a partner and he's very intelligent. He like graduated from a really good school. He works for Facebook and he was reading one of her papers. And mind you, again, this is someone who's educated and he's like, I don't understand like any of what this is. And to me, that's such a huge problem because it's like, if we are, because the whole point of like research writing apparently is to make it sound simple but i feel like more often than not like if you go to like google scholar right now and try to type in like depression and asian americans or something you're going to find articles and it will be very difficult for you to read and i'm like that shouldn't be the case if this is going to help people um so i feel like accessibility um for knowledge i think is really hard and even accessibility in actual programs themselves um, a lot of the things that I was looking at when I was applying was like, how, how what are the demographics look like? Right. Cause I think that that's, to me, that's important. Diversity is important. It shows that you're, you're caring about, um, again, anything other than just like white cis men in, in particular, cause that's what a lot of research is. And something I was really disappointed in, and, and this is just like across the board is that, um, it's mostly particularly white women who are in psychology and, I don't know. I think that's just something that needs to change because I I know so many people that pursue psychology in undergrad who are brilliant people, um, men of color in particular, you know, women of color in particular, and they weren't able to pursue it for whatever reason. Sometimes it was, you know, money. Sometimes it was, you know, not getting in. But most of the people I know who are people of color that pursue psychology aren't pursuing it anymore. And I'm like, I don't think I don't think that's a coincidence. I don't know. Yeah, no, I feel that um, my first therapist, I've had two therapists so far. My first therapist was a white woman and um, my current therapist is Patty and she is a woman of color and we live and in our town, um, I knew someone else who was looking for a woman of color therapist specifically. And literally there's only like my therapist. In, in the entire city that we live in. It's like my therapist and that's it. Like that's the only woman of color. Everyone else is like, you know, people of color affirming and, and you know, like LGBTQIA uh, affirming, but it's like, it's all just white women. 
and um this this person was actually a man and the, the guy was like i just don't he was just like i um i just don't feel comfortable bearing my soul to someone who i look at and i think might be a karen in the supermarket and it's just yeah. like that mm-hmm. i mean that was like a funny joke kind of thing but it is like that thing where it's like you know like do they feel safe to you and like that can mean so many different things you know it's like do they feel like a friend do they feel like an aunt because I know for me I like I feel like my therapist I like kind of think of her mentally as like an auntish kind of figure where it's just sort of like I just talk with her and like she helps me and she figures it out but like there's so many things that I haven't had to explain because she comes from the same cultural like and she's not even we're not even the same ethnicity we're not even like but she gets enough of it. She's like adjacent enough that I didn't have to spend the first four sessions explaining every time I said something, you know, because um, they're not going to know like the, the, especially for cultural specific things. I think it is very important to like realize that. Yeah, I, I definitely resonate with that, especially um I work in the um, sexual and gender identities clinic. So it's like a specialty clinic within my clinic. And that's what's been probably the most rewarding because I'm going to be honest, um, most days I'm like, I'm giving you homework and I'm hoping it's working. Like there's been a lot of, I hate using this word because everyone uses this word in grad school, but there's lots of imposter syndrome. A lot of like, I don't know if I'm helping you. Um, But something that kind of brings me back is just thinking about most of my clients currently all of them are people of color and they're, you know, queer or trans or what have you or non-binary. And most of them have specifically asked for uh, non-white therapists or and or queer therapists. And so for me being both, it's like, OK, there's a place for me here. Like there, mm-hmm. there's people are actively seeking people that have these similar identities. And I think it goes back to what you're saying, Dean, where people don't want to keep explaining themselves, especially when it's things that are like trauma, racial trauma, you know, microaggressions, you know, these huge systemic issues. And it's like, yes, I, I, you know, I don't want to detract from white therapists either. I'm, I know people that want to do the work and are doing a lot of, um, you know, self-reflection, and which is, I think, one of the most important qualities that I have as a therapist. But like, there are people doing that work, but it's one thing to kind of know about and another thing to live it. And I think mm-hmm. that's what a lot of people are seeking. Mm-hmm. Yeah, because I think that's that's something that it took me several years to kind of like realize. It's like my therapist probably has to deal with a lot of shit, just like their job. You know, it's like when people are are um as someone who wanted to be a forensic photographer you know when people are like in forensics and things like that you know when people like detectives and people deal with like SVU kind of shit you know it's like you see that and you're like oh wow you know like they really have to decompress and we kind of give them this automatic of like wow like they're so strong like you know it they're doing such good work but like the job is really hard and I feel like there's a sort of cognitive dissonance that happens when it comes to therapists because it's like sometimes you can't just leave everything like right in your office where people dump shit on you because it's like crazy shit that you have to deal with and you have to listen to. And my favorite thing that ever happened was I talked about my mom once in a session and it made my therapist cry. Um, And not in the sense where like, I was glad it made her cry, but I was just like, 
I feel validated. Like this moment is like, you know, like my experiences are actually like upsetting and, and hurtful. And I don't know. I feel like sometimes you forget that uh, doctors or therapists, like they're people too. I, th- I think it's because you kind of see, at least I did, I see my therapist as sort of like a savior. It's like this like all knowing person who just like, can say things and I'm just like whoa I never literally never thought of anything like that in my life before that's such a concept that's such an idea and it's like oh no they're they're people people. I think we get I think on the other end we also like as therapists and psychologists we kind of get caught up in that too at least I know for myself where I'm like I have to I don't know like this past year for me has been very rough I've I've lost a lot of friends I've, I've had some like you know relationship stuff like there's been like a lot going on lots of like school stuff and so for me it's been like oh I, ha- I have to put on this brave front like I have all these clients like I need to be this you know girl boss boss ass thing that everyone thinks like that I need to be and it's like no like we we, we have to time out our crying too like I remember distinctly there was one day where I was like so like I literally was like okay I'm going to cry from like 10 to 11 a.m. I'm going to give myself an hour to just listen to music on Spotify and cry. And then from 11 to 12, I'm going to study for this research comp that I need to pass in order to pursue like the rest of my school. And then I'm going to see a client in an hour and give them their assessments. You know, it's like um, sometimes like that can put an additional pressure like, wow, I have to be this perfect person. Even like being on this podcast, I'm like, wow, I have to talk about like not have to, but like I, I want to share all these personal things is it's not because and like the purpose for me in sharing a lot of personal things is to be like yeah like we we are very messy, messy people too there's nothing that makes i feel a psychologist better than like a client i think it's just we're given the the, the tools mm-hmm. to help someone see themselves I, don't, I i try not to see it as like me helping someone because maybe there is a component to that but i think it's more like guiding people to kind of see things within themselves mm-hmm. i think that's a way more to me a way more accurate of seeing therapy is that you you know yourself better than you know anyone else right it's only you just need a different perspective to show you those sides of yourself and mm-hmm. and could you remind me how long have you been in therapy like how long have I've you been, been in therapy it'll be three years in February so three about years. two and a half yeah. yeah so I've been in therapy for about five years and um yeah, it's uh, it is it's just a journey. It's a journey. Mm-hmm. Like what you said, Erin, of uh, that no one kind of like helping you see what's inside of yourself. I feel like, first of all, I don't know how people can start therapy and then just stop it. Like I feel like I'm stuck in therapy. Oh, this is my this is my fourth therapist. I've been on and off my whole life. Oh, okay, but like how? But like so, how does that off? period feel for you because like for me personally I just don't think I could I don't think I could for me it was before I worked with anybody who was trauma informed and that I knew I needed to process my trauma so it was a lot of just wheel spinning with a lot of just my current symptoms were very um like they just tried to like just do like CBT and like just think better like just like approach this differently or like do this and that but it's like it was just masking my deeper issues because we weren't dealing with anything like at the somatic level or like Mm. actually in my body and where all this trauma and everything was residing. So then I just happened to after the pandemic and moving back had a very traumatic experience with a cross country move. Um, 
and need to go see a therapist after that. Like I just knew I had to go back to therapy, um, even though I had been off for years. Um, and he just happened to be trauma informed and religious trauma informed specifically. So when it finally got to the point where I felt safe, like bringing up some of the stuff and it coming out, then it was just like, whoa, there it all is. Mm-hmm. Like, I think that kind of segues, sorry, I, tell me if I'm just like talking too much, but I feel like that segues into like, Erin, as a person, as, as a person who's potentially looking into therapy, how would you recommend like, h- how would you recommend starting a conversation with your therapist to be like, hey, I think I have this specific issue you know it's like I knew I had religious trauma but I still sought out Christian therapists my first Mm -hmm. therapist was like still a practicing Christian because I knew she would get it and I knew that like as a therapist she couldn't judge me for not being a Christian anymore but like how do you have a conversation How, how could someone have a conversation with therapists to be like hey I think I'm suffering from this is this something you know about? Is this something that you can help me with? Or can you recommend me to someone else? That's a good question. I think, especially in the first few sessions, I think it's important to kind of establish where you are first and kind of like build up that rapport and even see if this is someone that you feel safe with. And that's something that to me is most important in the work that I do. Um, Something that I had like written um, I think in one of your problems, but like uh, one of the best things someone can tell me and and I even just like professionally, just like personally as well as like, I've never told anyone this before. Like I just get like this like little serotonin. I'm like, oh my God, you feel like, I don't know. I There's something very like, I don't know. Like, I don't know how to describe it. Just like, like elation, just like knowing that like this person feels comfortably being vulnerable with you. Cause I think, especially for myself, um, spoiler alert, never been to therapy, um, as a therapist, um, it's, it's hard to be vulnerable, especially when you've had trauma where you've had upbringings that are like, you sweep things under the rug, you don't talk about things, um, where you're very much discouraged from that. So that always means a lot to me when people open up, um, to any capacity, again, whether it's like a friend or a client, um, it always means a lot. Um, but I think that just being honest with a therapist is important. Um, I've had I've had clients be like, yeah, I think I have X, Y, Z. I don't think I want to pursue it right now, but I I see these certain qualities. Um, You know, one of my clients was like, I think I have ADHD. Another one was like, I think I might have autism because of these different. I'm like, that's that. I mean, that makes sense and checks out, especially with the things that we've talked about. But um, a lot of therapy, at least the way that I my perspective on it is that it needs to be client focused. So if that's something you want to pursue where you're like, hey, I think I have PTSD we've had these sessions and like, I don't know, what do you think? Like, I don't know. I think that the more honest you can be as a client and as a therapist, like mm-hmm. the better off you'll be. So mm-hmm. I don't see any issue with like being like, I think I have this. What do you think? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Cause I, I feel like, you know, just from Anne and kind of just like explaining, it was like, she, she was getting help, but it didn't sound like it was like as impactful and just think mm-hmm. of how think of how many think of how many therapists you went through. Think of how many years you were like going through stuff where it was like we could have been getting to the root of this issue. Yeah, I out. mean, I I saw a therapist when I was nineteen. Like, I am not bitter about it, but it does it does hurt like that kid back there just knowing that there was help that I could have had mm-hmm. back then. 
And I could have had a lot different of an experience Mm -hmm. instead of like, it would have been, it still would have been struggle. Like it's not like at all. It would have been like sunshine and daisies, but like it maybe wouldn't have been as um, harsh of a struggle as I had if Mm -hmm. I had been able to get the mental health and the healing Mm -hmm. that I needed back then. There are a lot of situations I wouldn't have been in. Trigger warning, this segment mentions suicide. If this is a sensitive topic for you, you may want to skip ahead a couple minutes. Do you want to get into a little bit about how this background impacted your view on psychology? Because I know Mm. you talked about some struggles that you've had, and I don't know if you feel comfortable opening up about that now or... No, you know what? Like I, I'm, I feel, I feel good about it. I think that it's important to my life story. So yeah, like I kind of said earlier, uh, mental health was never something that was really talked about in my family. Dean can probably attest to this. Like mental health was something that was like, oh, like you feel down, pray about it. You know, God doesn't give you any more than you can handle. Like a lot of that kind of like, you're going to be fine. Just pull yourself up from your bootstraps kind of thing. And so I, looking back now, I'm like, this, these were like very chronic depressive symptoms because I remember being a kid and like, again, like 10 years old, like not being able to get out of my bed and just crying all the time, not being able to do my homework. And I remember, because I was always like the listening friend. I remember telling like my parents, I remember telling some like, um, my, my neighbor at the time, a homeschool friend, I was like, yeah, like, I, I think about, like, killing myself. And I've had, like, plans about it. And I don't blame, especially the kids in particular, because they're like, I don't know what's going on. Like, you're crazy. And that definitely didn't help. And I remember the one time I told my mom, she freaked out. And she was like, oh, my God, we have to bring her to the emergency room. She's sick. Da, da, da. And my dad, I think, was just so afraid of, like, that happening. And he was like, nope, uh, Aaron, you're fine, right? And I'm like, yep, I'm good. Nope, just kidding. And that was like, I think the only time we ever had a, a conversation about my mental health. And it was, it was really hard. You know, I have spent almost 20 years without therapy, without drugs, like literally just raw dogging life. Like, all right, I, I'm going to, I'm going to take care of myself. And a lot of that, I would never wish that on anyone. You know, I, I think it, it's genuinely, if there, if, if, if I believe if there's any guy, I definitely think that that was, that was a blessing that I've never done anything to hurt myself with how bad my mental health has been. And a lot of that I think has been having very good people in my life. And I think a lot of that has been spite. <laughs> I say all the time, and maybe this is, makes me a bad therapist, but I think that spite can sometimes be a very good driving force. I know for me, it's been like, there have been so many people that don't want to see me succeed. There have been so many people that have made my life difficult and I'm going to do this despite them. Yep. <laughs> and and, yep. and, you know, if it's what's gotten me to a healthier place, I'm not going to question it. Yep. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. The, the the raw dogging life and only living out of spite is just, that's a quote. That, that's a block. That's, that I'm out here, no therapy, no drugs, no meds, no alcohol, yeah, no I, sex, I, that's what, just raw dogging life. I mean, I mean, there's there's been some of that, but like people, right, <laughs> so there's right. there, there has been some so there's, there has been some unhealthy self medicating, but we we're we're in a much better place than like oh, yeah, Aaron in her mid mid, or, mid early mid twenties. Some good stories, but maybe not maybe for another time. I'm <laughs> yeah, we're going to put that on a Tumblr. Yeah. Oh yeah. <laughs> Raw dog in life. <laughs> exactly. Yeah, but just like the idea that like we 
for a time in our life, literally did not have any resources and we were just sort of like thrown out there and we didn't have any way to soothe ourselves or anything like that. So it's like, yeah, heck yeah. Everyone, like the minute you walk out of that box, you're just sort of like, let me grab everything and like- Let me take it all with me. Exactly. And it's that too, is you don't have any resources and you're told to go with it yourself too. You're told yourself is wrong. Like the reason Mm -hmm. why you're experiencing these things is because something is wrong with you or because Satan, quote unquote, like has a foothold in your brain or like he's giving you these thoughts. So I think the extra hard part about Christianity too is just how much it demonizes that and how much it demonizes the person for struggling Mm -hmm. with mental health issues. Because if you're, you know, giving it all to God, you know, he's supposed to take care of it. And I think that um, just adds it's an extra layer of a mind fuck in an already harmful situation. Yeah. And just going back to what you said earlier, and I definitely resonate with the whole, like, you know, cause like, obviously like as a therapist, I do want to go to therapy. It's not like, I do not want to go, but I think there, there is a big part of me that is like, man, I have been doing this for 20 years taking care of myself. And when I get these diagnoses, I'm going to be like, wow, could I use these like 20 years ago? Like I could have like saved myself a lot, a lot of, a lot of toxic men. I could save myself a lot of like drugs, alcohol, what have you. Like I could have saved myself mm-hmm. a lot of bad situations um, if I had the access to mental health that I, I kind of do now, or at least a better place, Yeah, you know, now. Mm-hmm. You want to talk about that a little bit, what it's like beginning to explore your own mental health journey now that you're finally at this place that you can do that yeah I think that it's so important to again kind of going back to something I said earlier is that like I think um one of the most important things for me as a therapist is self-awareness and self-reflection because uh something that because I think that there is this misconception that psychology is easy I had a high school friend he pissed me off so bad he was doing bio and he was minoring in psychology he was like i minor in psychology because it's so easy and i'm like yeah like maybe like you know psych 101 is easy but people don't really talk about the internal work you have to do to t- to to like do therapy with someone you have to constantly be like okay i present a certain way whether it's how i physically look how i talk how like i hold myself like that's all coming into the space with someone else how is that affecting my client for the better, for the worse, for, for neutral? Like, these are all things you have to look at. And you also have to look at um, transference and countertransference, which are basically like, how is, you know, you know, kind of like what Nadine is saying, where like, for some clients, they may look at you and be like, oh my God, you're just like my mom. Like, they're, they're not to say that that can necessarily be a bad thing, but something that you have to be aware of with your relationship with your therapist or client. And, you know, vice versa. I have a client right now who reminds me very much of my brother. And that's been something I'm like, ooh, I need to be careful of that, you know? Um, so they're, I think one of the most important things in this work is to to constantly be like doing, you know, doing the work, but also undoing a lot of, of things where, and, and again, it's for the sake and safety of your client mm-hmm. to constantly be doing that work. It's not just about the the books, you know, the, the, the book knowledge. It's also about the internal, like, how can I make, how can I be better? I guess, how has it been for you now as a um, therapist? Like, I think you said, you mentioned that all your clients are currently queer. Like, can you just talk about some of your present life and kind of what's going on Mm -hmm. um, in that space, in that world and how you're seeing 
yeah, just how you're impacting, I guess, your current sphere. Yeah, sure. I guess to start with the clinic, I, I, I love, I feel like I really lucked out with the specialty clinic. You have to apply and things like that. There's only certain people that kind of get in. And so I feel very fortunate to be a part of the, the specialty clinic that I am in, especially because there's so many like cultural nuances <laughs> with being queer and then working specifically in a queer clinic. Like one of my classes, we were talking about zodiac signs and, um, you know, there's a lot of discussions with self-disclosure because there's some, there's a lot of people um, who are still very much like you're a blank slate. You don't share things about yourself. Like this is about the client. And I think in, in a lot of cases you do need to do that. But for me, something that I have found is that self-disclosure when, you know, appropriate self-disclosure is necessary, especially for people that come from marginalized identities because they need that, um, they, they need to that safety net to know that you're like, you know, um, that you're someone that they can trust. And so I don't know. She, they, they asked me like my uh, Zodiac sign. We had this whole conversation about that. I'm like, only, only in the sexual identities clinic would you have that con- specific conversation. And it was like a whole thing. And we kind of used that to kind of talk about their, the way they see themselves. Mm. It was like a really cool moment as a therapist for me. Um, but yeah, I mean, other than that, like I'm going to be taking, I'm going into my second year. Um, I'm studying forensics and trauma, um, are my specific areas of emphasis and yeah, I'm going to be taking full classes. I'm going to be starting to work on a research team, which is a new thing as well. I also work as a clinic manager at the clinic that I'm at. I run two student groups, so I'm, I'm always very busy. Always, always have been always, always, always being busy. busy. Always busy. Yeah. yeah, I'm like, why why just do classes? That sounds boring. So I love having myself in different projects. I have I'm the president and founder of Geek Culture Student Group in my um at my school, which is basically like we like I I really want geek therapy to take off. I think there is so much there. I'm so passionate about this. Like I wish there was an area emphasis for this. Um, especially with like adolescents. I want to work with youth. And like, I'm like video game culture and tabletop stuff. I'm like, there's so much like untapped potential there. So that's why I started that group. And then I'm start a part of the forensic uh, mental health student group as well. So yeah, just always in a lot of projects. So do you mean like forensic, like crime? Or do you mean forensic, like, like what does forensic mean? Forensic can be a whole bunch of different things. I think there is a misconception that forensics is only like profiling, but more often than not, forensics is usually stuff with law. So a lot of it is like memorizing case law. Um, uh, you see this a lot in crime shows. So like forensic psychologists can work in courts and be like, oh, like they can deem someone terminally, ins- you know, like mm-hmm. um, insane, um, things like that. Stand, you know, are they competent to stand trial? Like those kinds of things usually. Yeah. Um, I want to work with adolescents, specifically um, girls of color in the juvenile justice system. I'm very passionate about like juvenile justice work because I think that there's a lot of intersectionality work that needs to be done with that um so yeah i want to do research and inter interventions with that population where would you recommend our listeners to go if they are looking to get in touch with a therapist or learn more about their own mental health and therapy journey oh that's difficult like is there that's gonna be so contingent that's gonna be so contingent on like where people are located okay i wasn't sure if there's better health i I, i've never used it personally i know some people in california that use it which is online um therapy but i don't know i think just you know i feel like i always hear people say go to like psychology today to find yeah there's another one there's psychology today is good therapy done 
Have you heard yeah. of that? Oh, I, have, I haven't heard about that one. Yeah. I always think, and maybe this is what I've seen more often than not is I think word of mouth is also very important. Mm-hmm. I think that when you have conversations, especially like now where we're in a culture where we can actually talk about mental health um, diagnoses or just mental health in general, I always think it's, it's good to have these conversations with other people and kind of see what they recommend. Cause it's actually how I got a lot of my clients is a lot of it. Mo- a lot of them were from a friend being like, this is a good clinic. Um, but yeah, again, a lot of it's trial and error. I've, I've done that for myself or I've tried going to therapy and I'm like, Oh, this, <laughs> this person is not good for me. Yeah. Um, yeah. so just be patient. It's, it's a, it's a long, you know, journey that does not end. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I feel like if there was like two things you could tell people, um, who have thousands and thousands of questions about therapy, about, about, about how they should feel about therapy, about being scared to open up to their therapists, um, about like not being, not feeling like they're ready to deal with all of their internal shit. Like what are two things you would like to say to them? Like what are two things you would say to encourage them? Um, number one, same bestie. Um, <laughs> I think I, I don't know. I think I think we need to be more honest about therapy is not fun. I think that sometimes the way that therapy is kind of put is kind of like this weird, like almost like car salesman thing is like it's going to fix your whole life. It's like no, it's going to be very difficult, and that's something that I've even had to have conversations with with my clients. Where I'm like, yeah, this is going to be uncomfortable, and you know, um, I'm going to make you think about things you don't want to think about, and that's something you have to kind of go into. Um, but it's, it's, everyone goes through that. Everyone feels that like, oh, I have to, I have to work on myself in this. This isn't just me talking about how shitty someone made me feel. This is about also about what can I do to make my life better? I think. Yeah. So they're just knowing that there's other people that are out there. I guess the second thing is just be, you know, go as your most authentic self, which I think is such a corny thing to say, but I think it, especially in therapy, it's true. You're paying money. You might as well be honest with us, you know, like you don't have to tell everything out from the get go, but if you're paying money for it, if you're paying those co-pays, even if you have insurance, like, you know, um, you, we can only help with what you provide in that space. Mm -hmm. Be your most authentic self. Yeah. Awesome. I like that. <laughs> Same bestie and tell get your money's worth. <laughs> Same bestie Very and Aaron. get Very your money's worth. Yeah, that's 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 uh, Aaron. the you know, if you need anything about me, that's me. It's very honest. <laughs> Well, thank you so much for listening, everyone. Erin, thank you so much for being our guest. We had a wonderful time talking to you this week, and we learned so much from you. Thank you for sharing your story with us. And if you would like to get in contact with any of us about what we said, you can send us a Gmail at jddftpodcast at gmail.com, or you can follow us on Instagram at jddftpodcast. And if you want to hear the rest of this episode, it'll be on our Patreon. So go ahead and check out our different subscription statuses. We have something for everyone. So feel free to join us over there. We love y'all. See you in a couple weeks. Bye. This has been the Jesus Didn't Die for this podcast with Andy Cinco and Dean Ruiz. We appreciate you taking the time to listen. However, and wherever you may enjoy your podcast, we'll see you next time.